This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hi, I'm Anif Baharuddin and this is Gigi Well Played, BFM's video game show. We're going to be talking to Mark South, Chief Operating Officer of Double Eleven, about what they do and setting up a Malaysian branch during the pandemic later. But before that, here's a recap of some of the biggest news in the world of gaming with Daryl Ong. Alright, we're going to start today's news with a positive story involving Sega. The longtime veteran company has announced that starting July the 1st, it will raise the base salaries of all their employees by approximately 30%. In a press release sent out last Friday, Sega said they will, and I quote, initiate revision to its compensation system to invest in human resources in order to further stabilize employee income and create a more comfortable working environment as well as to further strengthen its global competitiveness. Sega said that they are working to reform their various personnel systems so employees can maximize their respective potential in a comfortable working environment. They also continue their efforts to realize a system that allows their employees to grow while realizing diverse work style and to provide further experiences that move the heart globally. However, Sega is a bit late to the party when it comes to employee raises. Bandai Namco, Capcom and Koei Tecmo has all announced similar raises last spring, while Nintendo announced a 10% raise earlier this month. Sega's raise is likely to remain competitive among Japanese game developers. Japanese game creators' upping wages contrast sharply with North American firms, which have announced significant layoffs in recent months, including companies like Microsoft, Meta, Amazon, Google and Twitter. In other Sega-related news, they recently stated that the Sonic's Frontier sales greatly exceeded their expectations despite the reviews received and has announced that their sequel will receive a bigger budget. Moving on, five years after the cancellation of Date Rising 5, apparently called Date Rising, Dia de los Muertos, new videos and images of this video game have emerged. Although this content has been uploaded on the internet for a while in the portfolio of one of the developers, it was not until recently when several users on social media came across this content. On February 17, 2023, several users on Twitter and Reddit echoed the existence of new images and videos of Dead Rising 5 on the portfolio of Nit Shankovic, one of the developers that worked on the title. In Shankovic's post, he details exactly what he worked on during his time with the project, from various item container systems to level design and level design tutorials for his fellow project members. All of these footages on the blog post appears to be from 2017, so it will be likely been fairly early into the development as Date Rising 4 was released at the end of 2016. Date Rising 4's underwhelming critical and fan response led Capcom to decide to cut its losses and put the franchise on hold in Definitely. Whether or not Capcom will bring back Dead Rising is a mystery, seems that the company knows the franchises wants to invest in it, but reboots and remakes are a common practice these days, so it's anyone's guess. Alright, last but not least, we might see a variation of ChatGPT soon in our video games. This is based on the report of Daniel Ahmad, Nicole Partners Director of Research and Insights, who recently said on Twitter that the first game version of ChatGPT will soon appear in NetEase Justice Online Mobile. Justice Online Mobile is an MMO game that's exclusively available in China. According to Ahmed in his tweet, and I quote, through AI tech, it will create conversations that are fully voiced 
voice emotive and impactful. Some of these generated dialogues could even affect the behaviour of NPCs and relationships between them. As detailed by Chinese media Nadian Shi, players can cause a rift between the NPC couple, change their perception of certain things, and get help from virtual characters with kind traits. The model built into Justice Online Mobile is trained on history books, poems, songs, and martial art novels, so NPCs act in accordance to the Song Dynasty setting. Ahmad added that the NetEase plans to use AI technologies not only for dialogue but also for quest generation, content creation, as well as character customization. There's only one demo so far, so it's unclear how in-depth it is or if it's just a marketing gimmick for now. Alright, that's all for this week's GG Well Played News. Back to you, Hanif. Double Eleven is a game developer and publisher that's based in the UK. They've been around for 13 years now and have worked on various titles in different genres, including Little Big Planet and Limbo for the PlayStation Vita, Prison Architect for consoles, Crackdown 3 for PCs, Rust for consoles, and more recently, Fallout 76. In 2020, they decided to expand their horizons and open up a branch here in Malaysia. Its Chief Operating Officer Mark South was in town recently and he decided to drop by for a chat about the company and the industry. Hi, I'm Mark South. I'm the Chief Operating Officer for Double Eleven. All right. And for the uninitiated, can you share a bit about the history of the company and how it was formed? Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see how deep you want me to go here. Um, uh, I think, so top line, I guess you'd say, we're a developer and publisher of video games. Uh, we've been doing it for about 13 years now. I think if I, uh, if I were to count how many games we've worked on uh, uh, and published, I'd probably say it's a little over 20 games, I think, now. Mm. Uh, so lots of different projects. We began life in, in uh, it was 2010. Um, and, uh, and and like most good game studios, it started in someone's loft. Mm. This was Lee's loft, and mm. you know he, Lee was a programmer, uh, and uh, and he just wanted to spend more time with his wife and kids. I think that was the that was the uh, the the strategy. Mm. I think of, at the time, and then we've just kind of I guess over the years built on that. So we spent a bit of time uh, working for Sony as an exclusive studio. We did some uh, we did uh, the game Little Big Planet of PlayStation Vita. Uh, we got we became a proper studio, I think, at that point. Mm. And this is 2012 when that game came out, and we started self-publishing uh, games as well. Um, I say self-publishing because back then it was just publishing. There was no, you know, 10 years ago the industry didn't really know the term very well, mm. um, uh, and we wanted uh, we started publishing because we wanted more control uh, of what happened to the game when it came out, and obviously when we're developing it as well too. And we didn't know the business, but we learned it from zero, uh, and we built a publishing team that's very strong today. Uh, and I think over the years, um, uh, what's kind of happened is that we started as an engineering team principally, but over the years, we, we've grown uh, as a full creative team, teams now. Um, and what was, you know, just a room full of people has grown into, obviously, our studio in the UK that has about 300 people. And then the studio here in Malaysia, uh, that's just a little, is it two years? I guess two years uh, old now. Yeah, February. Mm. Uh, yeah, February, actually, right? Uh, 2020. Uh, it's about 65 people now. All right. Awesome. Fantastic. We're going to uh, talk a bit more on that. But I mean, just to understand a bit deeper about the nature of what you do. Um, and we've spoken about it outside the studio just now. Uh, I don't want to be reductive about it. But I think to a certain extent, Double Eleven focuses on um, quote-unquote porting games. I don't know whether that's an accurate term within the industry. But I think you focus a lot more uh, based on the catalog of games that you've worked on. Porting games. Is that is that a fair term to use? Yeah, I, mean, I think, I think you know, and, 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 you know and, and, and given our conversation, I think you have the savviness of the industry to use the term and I do not take it as something negative. Mm. Uh, and I think absolutely, when we started, 
uh, it feels like the you know uh, the punchline to a really bad joke. But what do a bunch of programmers do when they start a company? Um, and you do what you're strong at, don't you? And and the thing is, it's engineering. Uh, and we were a really strong engineering team, good at taking things from high-powered devices, say device A, that's a, a PC or a very powerful console, and moving it on to device B, which is a lower-powered device. Mm. That's a lot of heavy engineering work, and you need to be quite specialized. Uh, and we were a team of very strong engineers who have been in the industry for a long time. Uh, and we started there. So if you look at the trajectory of the games, you can almost kind of plot a line that says, like, yeah, it's a conversion. And then we, and then I use this new term called port plusing, which is taking a game and adding some content, making some enhancements to it. Uh, and you'll you'll see that trajectory. So uh, the first game that we developed after Little Big Planet uh, was a game called uh, Limbo, which probably you might have heard of. Yeah. Uh, I think people were kind of surprised to see that we we worked on Limbo, after a game that came out probably five years before that. Uh, I think it was two thousand. Don't come with me wrong. Well, this two thousand eight on Xbox, but it was a while ago, safe to say. And then we did a, a Vita version of it, and and that that came out. That was a, a port in the sense of it was a one-for-one copy of the game. And it's weird. I don't know if you... It's hard to explain taking a piece of... Like, Limbo was a piece of art for me. Uh, I think it started a lot of what we consider to be independent game development in, 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 a, in a real way because mm. it sold so well it was really successful. And Play Dead are a team who could spend years on something to make it perfect. And very few teams do that and spend that long to get something that right. Uh, so when we did the Vita version, they were looking at a one-for-one one copy. And I think what people probably wouldn't have thought about is that that game maxed out a PlayStation 3. And we're trying to get it running. Like, if you don't listen to the marketing, we're trying to get it running on a device a third of the power. Uh, so, you know, it is it is quite hard to do. And I remember that they would l- l- use the Vita and they would plug in a hi-fi component system on it. And they would listen for audio artifacts due to compression. Uh, which on the headphones you probably wouldn't catch on, on most people's headphones, but they like, no, we can't have any artifacts. So we 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 did it and we, we removed it and we improved it, and that was a one for one. That was a, that was a perfect copy, and I was that was really cool. But then if you look kind of further along, uh, some of the games that we worked on, uh, you can in the background what we're doing is building our creative teams at the same time, and uh, and you can see that kind of reflected in the kind of games we make. Mm. Uh, I think a really good example of that one, and it's just been an incredible uh, project for us is Prison Architect, um, and we started on that. Um, I think uh, how much I can give the short version of the story. Uh, we originally went to Introversion and said, "Hey, we have an idea." Uh, as a publisher, we pitched them a design document uh, saying, "We love Prison Architect. Our our version plays more like Theme Hospital for console. Here's how we would do it." Uh, and they're like, "Yeah, let's do it." Um, and that was cool because we we beat a lot of other publishers who kind of came with cash advances and said, uh, "And that game um, again was uh, it was obviously making it for console. So everyone knows what Prison Architect is, and it looks the same, uh, you know, fundamentally on console. But the mechanics, how you interact with it, uh, um, a lot of it is is very different for console. So in the background, our designers were coming online, our artists were coming online, uh, and we were kind of we were kind of building that team. And you can see it in the games. So I think porting is something that we we started with, but while a lot of the, the stuff we have in development now in the studio." Is is not in the public domain. I would say all but all but say let's just say twenty percent of it is still that kind of making something and bring it to, to a new platform. Mm. Everything else is is original to a degree. Put it that way. Thank you for sharing the nuances of porting, quote unquote, or porting plus because I think it's not as simple as that, right? And I think if it, if it's a good port. Chances are most gamers won't notice it, but if it's a bad part, you know, people will notice it and they'll complain a lot, right? If you think about it. So yeah. so kudos on and I, I think to a certain extent doing a good job on that, right? And I think Thank you. Yeah, the nuances of it as well is is pretty interesting. Uh can you perhaps walk me through the mechanics of, for example, you know, when it comes to to doing this, um, do you approach the original developer and sort of like propose uh to them that, oh, you want to port this to like 
you know a PlayStation or an Xbox or do they come to you and and perhaps you know um and ask you to help develop these games for the other platforms? It's a good question, mm. uh, and the answer is it's a bit of both. Mm. Sometimes we approach, sometimes uh, uh, they approach us, and I think I think there's this this kind of uh, there's like a there's like a story arc behind Double Eleven. Mm. Uh, one of the things is that so when we did the stuff with Media Molecule and Sony, obviously, which was uh, literally Planet PlayStation Vita, uh, we did the stuff with Play Dead. Uh, and, and I think, and, and unconsciously, we didn't. I don't think we were like, okay, what we're going to do is is do what I'm going to tell you. But it happened is that we we started building this reputation as like a trusted pair of hands for other people's IP. So again, being a team that wasn't making their own games, we kind of treated it like it was our own game. Uh, and we really got into it. And, and it, again, a great example is Prison Architect, where we developed the console versions. Um, and uh, to skip a long story short, Paradox uh, are the publisher of Prison Architect. But we develop all the versions for PC and console today. Um, and obviously, they're the publisher. We, we like to make it part of ours. So what ends up happening is if there's an IP that we like. Uh, we'll go out for it and we'll talk to the developers. And in other cases, there's um, if there's an IP that um, if there's someone that heard about us, they'll come to us. And it just depends on the project. Um, and the word of mouth really helps. Uh, and, and genuinely, I think you could draw a line between almost every project we make on and a referral or a recommendation from the studio that we worked with. Because our view is more about the partnership. Uh, we want to make a good game, but I think I, don't, I think we're all in the industry long enough to know that like you might do something great and it comes out and market forces say that, you know what, sorry, this isn't your time because this thing came out that just doing uh, tremendous, taking all the attention away from people. Mm. Um, doesn't mean you did a bad job, it's just the wrong time. So our view is let's make sure we do the right things so the partnership lasts uh, and we all go into it you know, with integrity and we, we know what we're doing. And I think that's kind of garnered us some favor, I suppose. And, and as a publisher, when we approach developers, we approach them as a developer, not as a publisher. So it's got to make commercial sense, obviously, because otherwise none of it's going to work. But, mm-hmm. but after that, it's like, all right, how do we make a great game? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's the conversation, and we tend to own it. So sorry, that's a very long-winded way of saying it's a bit of both. Uh-huh. Yeah, it depends on what the situation is. Yeah, what's that relationship like in terms of perhaps the kind of pressure that, that, that's available to you? You know, in, in the sense that, um, yeah, is that, is that an, perhaps an added pressure to make a good you know, especially if if a game runs well, like I said, you know, I mean, yeah. if a game runs well on on multiple platforms, you know, people won't say uh, you know a lot of things. But you yeah. know, if it runs badly, people will complain, right? And and then the pressure will suddenly be on you, right? So yeah. So what what's that? What's that? Yeah, relationship like? Is it, is it like? Do you feel the pressure whenever you know that you're given perhaps a project to you know port this game to this platform? Yeah, um, I, I think it's. I mean, I, I can. I I remember all. I know all the relationships so well because I'm involved in 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 all of them that we publish. I think it starts with. I know we have the capabilities to do something that's really good. There's no question that. But I tend to internalize a lot, uh, and, and I don't want to let them down. You know, and I think that the team feel that as well too. Like I think what you're talking about is like by the time you come to us and you want to publish your game on another platform, so we'll publish it and develop it. In, in most cases, um, uh, like they've already made a commercial success. They're they're doing all right. You know, they don't. And and most developers who 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 make something and they make it their own and they make it a success, money isn't their motivation. I mean, it, it gets the conversation started, but they just want to know you're not going to screw it up, right? And they want to know that you're going to do something good. And they don't do it because they're trying to do the thing that they're doing next or they, they want to work on their main game. So there's a level of trust that that's implied there if you're talking to us about it. So, yeah, I think the pressure is absolutely really high. One of our values is hard work, I, I think, you know, and, and it's kind of evolved a little bit into humanity that we all have to work hard. Otherwise, 
we let each other down. Um, and and it, it really is a real thing. And I remember it's always everything because we don't just approve the game with the licensors. We'll always we'll also approve the creative, so all the the publishing material, like how we talk about the game. Uh, in the beginning, it's uh, you know um, like introversion. Uh, um, uh, Chris and Mark, who, who who run the studio, they did these incredible developer diaries where they get on. They have rep, like uh, like uh, P, uh, PA caricatures of themselves. They talk about the game. And it's a brilliant method, and they developed a following around it. And it's, and, and the thing is, do you replicate that and do your own version of it, or do you do it your own way? And we kind of did something that was kind of in the middle when we started publishing it initially, but we brought people into the game, and, and, and we don't want to try to copy them because no one can copy that. I think that's a, a brilliant format. So we have to come up with our own, and that it is, it is, it, it, you're nervous. I think that's the thing. And, and the first time we did it, we were incredibly nervous because they've done this, they've made this game that it's an absolute behemoth. It's super popular. It's been out for years. They've learned as a studio. They've had their failures in the past, like every good studio, and they've made a success of it. And it's an incredible thing. So yeah, there's that pressure. Uh, for sure it is. And, and I think, um, but when it comes out and, and, and everyone likes it, and they said, this is great, it, 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 I can't explain to you that feeling. It, there's, it's validation, but on a level that like you could never, you could never get from your daily life, right? Mm-hmm. It has to come in that way. And it's, it hits you like a wave and it stays with you. So yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of pressure there. Yeah. Um, you've worked um, on a lot of um, franchises uh, from Little Big Planet to Limbo to Prison Architect to Good Simulator uh, to now to, um, being involved with Minecraft Dungeons, uh, Rust and Fallout yeah. 76 as well. So yeah. that, that's a list of big games there, you know? Um, any interesting stories that you can share, you know, working on these games? Oh, that's a good question. Interesting stories that that, that don't get me into trouble. <laughs> um, I, I think uh, I think the thing to say is, that, I mean, if I can kind of bring it back to what we were talking about before, is that like I'll pick like Minecraft Dungeons. We got to speak to Mojang because uh, we actually worked uh, with Microsoft and, and another developer on the Windows 10 version of Crackdown 3. And they were really happy with how that worked. Mm. So said, hey, you guys should talk to Mojang. They got something going on. Uh, and we talked about it, and, and we and I think when we originally started, it was to do the console versions uh, of Dungeons and help with some of the online play, uh, and that grew into us making a lot of the content for the DLCs uh, for the seasons, um, and and that kind of just grew. Uh, and there, you know, and I think you know the studios are quite close, and again, so that kind of got referred from from Crackdown Three uh, when we started working on Rust. Uh, Face Punch knew about us from talking to the guys at Prison Architect. Uh, you know, who who made it. So there's a very strong sense of the reputation being really important to us. Mm. And I think we place a lot of emphasis on, on making sure that um, that we'll put our reputation above optimizing uh, profits or uh, stuff like that. What's important is we do a good job because it, it's kind of that industry, isn't it, where if you don't, well, you know, if we made the bad port, uh, people will know about it and then, you know, we'll probably not hear from people again, you know. So it's it, it's a big deal. So sorry, no no juicy story, unfortunately. <laughs> I'm sure I'm, I could think of some stuff, but but generally, it's that reputation that's just kind of carried us through. And obviously, and, and you know, kind of you know, our reason for being is 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 to make a place that's, uh, you know, uh, that's people first, and 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 we look after everyone in the studio. We would never get this unless everyone else felt that way, and they worked really hard, and they were really ambitious. So everything we gain as a reputation is just the result of people who put the work in. Mm. You know, so this is we're kind of kind of sitting on the shoulders of all that, which is really cool. Mm. Can we talk about Fallout 76, if you don't mind? I can talk a little bit about it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so so that was an interesting project to be involved in, considering that, I mean, again, and again I'm talking about this um, from an outsider's point of view, mm-hmm. considering how controversial the game was. I know when it was first released, um, it was you know highly problematic and whatnot. Um, so 
I don't know how developers approach it, but but I think to a certain extent, you know, you could argue. I mean, from, from again from an outsider, layperson, uh, gamer's point of view, yeah, I can imagine it being quite you know difficult for you to I guess be involved in that kind of project. Or you know, or is it as difficult, or is it just a matter of you know within the industry there is a sense of trust, there is a sense of perhaps you know you know wanting to challenge yourself to to yeah. be able to be want to be involved in this kind of project. For so example. so it's a it's a good question, and, and I think to be really honest about it, I think. It, it kind of doesn't matter. I, I think one of the reasons why uh, Bethesda came to us because it was, it was our experiences uh, with Rust Console Edition. Uh, and I don't know how to explain this t- to people, but when you launch a live service game, you can only do so much to test it before it comes out. It is humanly impossible past a certain point. And we were, uh, like with Rust Console, we did so much. We did so many betas. We did. So I could, you know, I know all the, the. I know I can. I feel all the anxiety of the team that when we when we when we put. I remember with Rust Console Edition. Normally, for like when you sign up for a mailing list, we would get like I don't know, like a thousand subscribers, right? For any game that we worked on, thousand, two thousand. Because who signs up to mailing list? Not many people. What we put it out for Rust. We had almost three quarters of a million people sign up. We actually learned that you oh you have to pay the bigger your 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 database gets. So like wow, that's a thing, you know. And 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 I say that because we were obviously planning for it, but. You can do uh, all that. We did so much testing. We did testing with external companies, um, uh, but but nothing simulates a hundred thousand concurrent users. Asterix, you can get software that will do some stuff um, that has a little bit of irrationality in it that will do some stuff. But the day you come out and, and you go out at scale, like the launch day, you know, we do everything to soften it. We do betas. We do soft launches. We do everything. But what ends up happening is uh, you, you can't account for how this many people are going to play with the game. So we don't really see it as a thing. There's absolute understanding there that like this is going to happen with every live service game. There's always going to be challenges when it launches, and that's just it. But the point is you fix it, uh, and you, you learn what's going on. And so, so there's no... Uh, we don't really see it that way, if you know what I mean, right? There's, there's, there's no. Uh, uh, someone works it out how to launch a massive game and get it coming out, and everything is just wonderful. All the experiences are wonderful. Then, then they're doing something phenomenal. Um, and despite the best interests and passions of so many people in our studio, there's always going to be challenges when you launch. So I think for us, we come in as a net neutral, and the conversations with Bethesda around, kind of like what their plans are in the future, what our plans are for our studio, and does it fit? Um, and you know what we say? Yeah, it actually fits. Um, and we can build something long term together. So that's a so there's not a lot of detail there, and but, but honestly, that's that's literally how we, how how we do these things. There was Smart South, Chief Operating Officer of Double Eleven, talking about their experiences porting and working on various games throughout their existence. We're going to make way for some messages. More after this. Stay tuned. This is GG Well Played on BFM eighty nine point nine. BFM 89.9, listening to Gigi Well Played. I'm your host, Hanif Baharudin. Joining me on the show today is Mark South, Chief Operating Officer of Double Eleven, developer and publisher that's based in the UK with a branch here in Malaysia. After existing for close to a decade, they decided that it's time to spread their wings and in 2020, they set up a new branch here in our country. So, why Malaysia? So, okay, so that's a, that's a good question. I think it needs a, a little bit of context. I think... If you can keep in mind, okay, start with this top-level idea that like our reputation is what matters, right? And mm. and when we work, uh, we publish stuff, we, we work for the people, so we'll charge people. Other games we'll make money from, and you know, uh, we kind of build a business that way. I think what the thing was uh, to say for us is that uh, there were two factors. One is that we we wanted to have some contingency because everyone's working on projects, everyone's doing things, but what about some people who aren't 
doing anything on the on the on the core branch. Let's just say, I said not the branch, the code, but like products that come out right away. Um, where do we build some contingency? What if something is running over? What if we want to invest in some more artwork that isn't covered in the budget? So the idea was let's build some contingency here. And and obviously we thought the right way to do it was um, obviously look further east to be able to set something up. Um, and then the second part was we really liked the idea of having continuous development. Uh, so have a, you know here we're obviously eight hours uh, uh, ahead of the UK. So we can do a lot of stuff here and then that can get picked up in the UK. So that's that's, that's that gets us looking here. Uh, and, and, and genuinely, um, you know, when we were looking at different, uh, different areas, it was the folks at MDEC that we met, um, and we met them, and they were, they were really outbound. I think we met them at GDC, actually, funny enough, and they talked about it. Um, and, and really what was interesting was, I think, uh, I always try to keep things human, because this is a business about, uh, about people, and people doing their best and being in the right environment. Uh, and, and, you know, for us, it's weird. Malaysia, it felt like the right environment. And I remember when we came over for the first time, I had a list like 300 questions to go through with everybody, get it all answered, go, okay, you know, this is a big thing. And, you know, the classic of, if you asked us when we started the company, would we be opening up an office in Malaysia? I said, no, not a chance. We would never even think about it. We were just thinking about next month, you know, uh, you know, like 12 years ago. But, but, but when you look at it, I think some of the challenges, in our opinion, that Malaysia faced were challenges that we face as well, too. So we have the same thing in the north of England where our studio is, where everyone trains in the north and they get jobs in the south. Uh, you know, not too dissimilar to, to some incredible universities training people here and going to Singapore or further afield to, to get work. Um, so I feel like we know that challenge. Uh, it, it's familiar. We're prepared to show that we're here to make a stake in things. And I think the government also was quite committed to obviously slowing or, or stopping that uh, drain of talent. So, so we can get behind that. I think we know that works. Obviously, you know, coming to Malaysia, it's a, an incredible place. Kel's an incredible place. Everyone, uh, I think our values are, 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 are very similar in terms of people just wanting to be respected for their work and as an individual uh, and, and work in a place that values them. So it, it was a mesh. And I think that's, I think if I had to really shorten it down, I think that's why we, we, we chose Malaysia to, to set up. In. And obviously, as we've been learning, there's a lot of talent here. There's a lot of there's a there's a burgeoning independent community that I want to in, in the next chapters get to know a little bit more, um, and it, it just really made a lot of sense for us. Mm. The timing of it though was pretty unfortunate, <laughs> right? Because you move in in February 2020, yeah. yeah, which was just before the pandemic happened. Yeah, what was that like? Um, so February 2020. Although we want to forget those two years, <laughs> uh, I think everyone's trying quite hard to do that. I think. I, I do remember it really well. Um, in February, we we opened up in uh, it was in Bangsar South. We had a little. Uh, we were in the co-working space commune, mm. um, and uh, and it was just I think two or three of us at the time, um, and we had an office. I mean, we were we had in the background there were things going on, but this is our our office, which is really exciting. Um, I personally, I always wanted to work in a city. Um, that was quite exciting for me as well too. Um, and I remember we were we were we were going out. We were meeting a lot of people, meeting a lot of com- other companies. We were meeting students, um, you know. And this was the end of February, to be specific, right? So I remember I went uh, to class rooms uh, to, to go look at their students. And I remember when I when I I remember I sh- I put my hand out to to, to to shake the hand of the person there, uh, and and uh, she shook my hand and then put some hand sanitizer on my hand. And I was thinking to myself, never had that happen before. And then that was kind of the start of things. Uh, and obviously, you know, not being aware of any of what's going on uh, and just kind of getting, you know, the anxiety is increasing a little bit. Um, you know, I left Malaysia at the end of February and I flew back in, uh, in, into the UK. And, and I, I remember self-isolating 
uh, before the government even put the guidance out because I'm like, well, I don't know what's happened, right? I've been meeting everybody, and this is so. And then in that, uh, in my isolation period of one week, uh, two weeks, one weekend, the government said, okay, you need to self isolate if you've uh, done these things. So we were getting out with our guidance. So that's kind of it. that was my, you know, uh, my personal experience there. But from a, a company perspective. Um, it, you could argue that it was probably the best of the worst times to be doing it. Because if we would have did it three weeks later, we would have put the whole thing off. We, we wouldn't have been able to get the office. We wouldn't have been able to hire our first people in. So we got that in. We got that in. <laughs> so we're like, whew, okay, well, we, we got in and, and we're here. Um, but I think you know, uh, the practical matters of, of building a games company, uh, 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 you know, when everyone's at home and there's so much instability, um, we're going to be really challenging. I don't think anyone looking to move to a new company that no one's ever heard of is looking for a little bit more unpredictability in their lives. So that was hard. Uh, I think there's, there, there's, 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 there's no point about it. And when we started recruiting people in, the physical activity of getting hardware delivered into the country, into an office, then out to their homes, uh, you know, it, it, it was no small feat. Uh, I remember one of our team was just storing equipment at their house because it was easier to get it coming to the house than it was into the office that has rules for bringing stuff in and out uh, and then getting it delivered uh, uh, between studios. I mean, that's the physical aspect of it. I think the thing we weren't thinking about at the time was, and we've all uh, had a chance to look back at it, was uh, the mental health aspects of that as well, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I never, uh, I, I think, you know, we're, we live in the UK. We, we kind of lived in a, a, I don't want to say we live rural, but we have a garden, we have a backyard. It's not, it's a, it's not built up. It's, it's not a city. It's a big town where, we, where our main office is. Um, so, you know, uh, we could go into our gardens in the summer. We had nice weather. Actually, it was a really nice summer. Um, so we, we never really, it took a while to kind of appreciate that thing of what we're, what we're probably seeing is, is a couple people working around a dining table that living in one place. And, and that's not easy, is it, to, to manage? I mean, even if you love the people you're around, I can't think of a better situation to test those relationships out than have you around. And, you know, all the classic stuff of, oh, that's how you act at work, and this is what you do. And, you know, uh, it all kind of comes out. And that's, that's really hard. And I think that was the part that I think was the thing uh, that we tried our best to combat. We have, at the time, um, uh, and we still do. We have, we actually, we have roles in the company for uh, for someone who people who are just focused on well being, uh, and to make sure people are looked after, just checking in. Because I think if you don't do anything, the tendency is uh, what you get is that scrum kind of call every day. What are you working on? What are you doing next? Anything stopping you? Right. Okay. Next thing. Next day. It, it feels a little bit like some kind of like some some dystopian sci-fi, doesn't it? Mm. That that's that's the call you get, and you. T- obviously, everyone's talking. So we did things to deliberately make sure. Um, uh, um, uh, and other companies did it too to make sure that, that you know that we check in on people, that the conversations are social, that we have like coffee mornings, you know, uh, and then we have a team lunch that's virtual. And it was fun in the beginning, but let's be honest, virtual lunches got really bad towards the end. Uh, you know, and we think we're happy to see each other again. So, sorry, again, a long-winded answer, but um, it, it was a definitely a challenging time. Um, for the business, we were prepared to take as long as we were going to take to get through things. And dealing with different regulation in the UK and Malaysia, that was obviously uh, something that we had to really understand. And we needed, our guidance was updating on, with both companies practically every day. And we were working out, we formed a working group within the company that was across development, uh, uh, people and culture, uh, different areas, so we could talk about it and work it out. Because no one was really giving us the, the answers we needed to be able to run a company properly. So, uh, yeah, I think it definitely challenging, but the company was prepared to play the long game 
it's a question of how people kind of cope with it as individuals. Mm. And two years later, things are getting better, I assume. You've moved to a new office as well, right? No? Uh, here in, in, in yeah, yeah. So, yeah, uh, we have, we moved in April last year. We had a big opening. Uh, it was quite emotional for me to come. It, we, we, uh, at one level, we designed the office entirely remotely. Uh. Um, we worked with a design and build company, and we spent about eight months designing it. And and we, uh, I don't know, I, I really, office space is a very, very big thing to me. It's a very personal thing to me. I think people should come to work and feel like they can be them, their best selves, be creative. Uh, and it's an environment that you don't have anywhere else. Um, so w- the idea was we take all the mistakes that we made over running our own office for the last 10 years uh, and, and building our own office spaces and get it right from day one uh, with Kale. And that's quite of a challenge when you always think of game developers being iterative, not like here's the design, now deliver, right? Uh, and that's what we did. Um, and actually, it worked. Ap- it really, it absolutely worked really well. You need to come see it. Yeah. Thank you for the invitation. Absolutely. Uh, so the the Malaysian branch of Double Eleven is will it be doing projects um, outside the main branch or will it be doing things similar to whatever it is that the main branch is doing? So I think the best way to explain it is um, it, it's a I think there's probably a general answer. This has a bit of a few things, but mm-hmm. but I think more 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 uh, broadly speaking is that we're building a team kind of uh, uh, from scratch here. So the question is is more about what are the right projects to support people's development? Mm. Uh, and I think that needs to be our focus. Because again, there's no time pressures here to, to be able to say, okay, well, we got to start working on this game like in six months. So get them ready. Uh, you know, that's not the conversation we have. The, the conversations we have are about strengthening the team. So where we can tie them into some of the projects we're working on now, we do. Uh, a lot of the work that we do here tends to be our, our own stuff or stuff we have creative control over. Um, that's probably a generalization, but more or less it kind of works that way. Um, and I think the thing is to say the ambition for the studio is to be able to work on uh, um, whole things. So that whole thing could be an update, a, a DLC, a whole project. But again, we're we're not setting timescales to that. It's more about what, what the team are good at doing. Mm. Um, so how how do you manage the I guess the challenges of working with a company that's based in the UK and also a company that's based in Malaysia? Um, there's the time difference, uh, which yeah. is the obvious challenge. But what are other challenges that you have to deal with? You know, juggling between the, these two companies that are miles away. Yeah, I think it's it's a good question, and the time difference is a real thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no question of it. We overlap by a little bit. Um, we're at near the end of our day here in, in KL. They have a chance to sync up with the, with the folks in the UK. Um, it's a challenge to do because we offer flexible hours as well, too. Mm. Um, so we have to factor that. A work-life balance is a big thing for us. Um, but I think, you know, outside of that, I think the, the thing that I, I, I think I, I'm, I'm probably most uh, or pay most attention to is we have a culture in the UK. We have these three values. It's uh, humanity, uh, ambition, integrity. Uh, and you know, and I and 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 this this is these are lessons learned working in other places. Like when I used to be a producer, and it'd be some uh, not working for us, but when I used to work for other companies, and it'd be some awful time in the morning, and uh, and you're in a situation where you can't make a decision because you're just in a bad situation, and no one's here to tell you what to do. Um, when I joined when I joined Lee, uh, I, uh, one of the things we introduced was this values framework, and it was about making decisions in the absence of, of, of the information. And I think you probably heard lots of people talk about having a values or way of working, but it's a really big deal in our company because I need to know that when people come into the company that that we don't have egos, that we treat each other fairly no matter what job you have in the company, um, and we treat each other with respect and dignity, um, uh, you know, and we value diversity. And that's a really, that's probably a general way of saying it. But for for me, it's about knowing that you come to work because you can be yourself and you can apply yourself. 
And I needed to know that existed here as well, too. And it exists here, um, obviously, realizing cultural differences between the studios. So that probably is, is the thing. You know, it's that general uh, notion that I talked to my management team about, which is, um, you know, treat everybody fairly, but treat everybody as individuals. And that's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to sit there and think about how, 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 how someone gets, uh, we're looking after them as an individual, but we need to be fair to everyone else that we're, everything else we're doing in the company. Uh, the way we promote you is the way we promote everyone else. And I know it sounds obvious, um, but it, but it, it's not because uh, everyone will take a slightly different approach to things. And it's about bringing that consistency in. So I think the real challenge is, uh, I think, for us about just making sure that we're, we're developing it our way here uh, and not letting things kind of interfere with that. Mm, yeah, that's a very interesting thing to hear, especially in an in industry where these days, I mean, as of recently, you hear a lot of things about where, uh, you know, sometimes uh, workers' welfare has been abandoned and ignored and sometimes taken advantage of, right? You know, the crunch culture is a thing. You hear that a lot. Uh, but for Double Eleven specifically, you know, it's not something that... Um, Something that you're aware of pretty early on, even even during the early years of your development, right? Um, so is that foresight on your company's end to be able to, I guess, prioritize things that actually yeah, matter? Yeah, you know, I'd love to say that. Like, <laughs> we were just these people, just these great thinkers mm. who sat down in a room and just, we thought, okay, well, how's it going to work in the next 10 years? And I think the truth is, we were just trying to, you know, Lee has, he'll say, we tried to do right by our people. I think that's what it was. And, you know, and when we started, we didn't have a lot of money. Um, but what we said is we'll be honest with people because that's something that we didn't always get from from the people that we work for. Uh, so in the beginning, uh, I think the way that you just, we described Double Eleven, it, it, it was like a home for wayward developers. You know, people developers who had just been mistreated, and, and 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 you know, and when we started the company, and most of those people are actually still with us today. When we started the company, said, "All right, we might not be rich, but we'll be honest." You know, and we used to. I remember we used to have these quarterly updates where we tell people, and there's six months of running costs in the bank, and there's eight months of running costs in the bank, and there's over a year. So we'll, don't worry about it. We'll only tell you when there's less than a year, so they know their job was secure and security. And this is you know ten years ago, and that was a big deal. Um, and it's kind of built on that. And to, and to show you how we got to overtime, there was a step in the middle I almost forgot about, um, which is where when we built our offices in the UK. I, I saw something, and I saw something uh, that they do in France. Where if you if you if you go into the hospital, they'll do your laundry for you, right? Uh, I thought that was, that was weird, but that's kind of cool, actually. And 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 I, I always think about uh, if people are working late. Then put my twenty twelve hat on, not my twenty two hat. My twenty two hat's very different. Um, if if we're asking people to work late, that means that we're inconveniencing their partners, their family. So how can we ease ease this? And you know, and what do you think at the time? We put washing machines. Uh, into our office uh, so people could do the laundry and stuff. And, and at the time, we had, uh, one of the cleaners will help out with that as well, too. And we were just thinking, what can we do to help people? Uh, another thing was like fast food, right? Because everyone, you know, when you eat, when you work late, you, you eat crap uh, like pizzas and stuff like that. Well, that's not sustainable. So uh, I remember uh, one of our, our QA in a, in a previous life, they used to be a part-time chef. So after work, we'd pay him as a chef to come and cook for the team. Uh, and it, again, we're talking about something that probably in practice only lasted a couple months. But we were just trying to improve the life of people. But then what we realized ultimately was, you know, actually, we just shouldn't have people at work after, after regular hours. Um, and then when we started to make, you know, the company got bigger and we started to be able to afford more things. We um, we said right. We'll start paying overtime, uh, and I, I think I, I, I want to believe if I said that in 2013, we were probably a bit ahead of the curve, and, and we just said, well, if we're going to pay people, uh, we're going to ask people to work. Let's let's get them to let's at least pay them for it, um, and that and so we started paying for overtime, uh, and and then it became a voluntary thing. So it was up to you because I think the mature version of that today is to say that um, just because we're paying doesn't mean you want to work. 
you know, I mean, I, I always try to like, I always, we, we do our best to remember what it's like to be in the seat where like, you know, you're being, you're not being asked, but you're being asked, you know, there's a difference, isn't there, right? Uh, and and it's, a, it's a horrible place and, and we all know what that's like. So our version of it is it's voluntary and, and depending on what it is, it's also paid at multiples of salary as well. Uh, because, uh, you know, in the summertime, I like to go out and injure myself on mountain bikes. That's my hobby. Uh, but in the wintertime, I'm less bothered about it because it's, you know, in England, it gets darker at like four o'clock and stuff like that. So so we have to really respect the fact that, you know, it, it is here. It, it needs to fit into what they're doing in their lives. And that's a that's a really big thing. So overtime was something that we, we started paying for in 2013. Uh, I, I, I don't know to what extent it's true in, in Malaysia. I know in the UK, uh, I think companies have had to raise the bar to be able to bring in people because, you know, you have a lot more choice. But I, I hope that's something that we can, uh, you know, j- just just be a little bit more fair with people here mm. uh, is our ambition here. Okay, so based on your, in the way you do things and based on your observation of how, you know, things have come out recently about the whole crunch culture, uh, and the fact that you said yourself earlier that um, uh, W11 is a place where people, you know, the way we were developers coming over to because you, know, yeah. you guys have been mistreated and whatnot, right? So um, what needs to change in the industry? I think it's, uh, I mean, uh, a lot of times I, I try my best to, it's like a lot of problems. The solution is never one thing, is it? Mm. You know, like that's on the order of trying to solve some, some, some very uh, big social issues, I think. I think... Um, you know, uh, I mean, I could give you our perspective on it. Like, like number one is, you know, for us is we won't take on work that we know isn't achievable in the time. Uh, that's a, and 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 part one and part two is we got to take on stuff that we know we can do a good job of. And if we get it wrong, we'll be honest about it and say this is where we are because of this. Uh, we we won't try to hide it. Um, so I think a lot of that pressure. I mean, you know, I I always think that like. We could do a lot of things to make the quality of life better for people at work. We can do lots of events, parties, social activities. Uh, we have people looking at well-being. Uh, we have, like, you know, obviously the private health here, which is needed. But in the UK, it's, it's not a thing, but we do it. So we can do all sorts. We can add lots of sauce onto it, right? But the fundamental is when you're sitting down at your desk, is what you're doing enjoyable? Is it relevant to the person? Is it challenging in, in a fair way? And those are the things I think you need to get right. I mean, I think... Our, our view was always people over profit, so we weren't bothered. I mean, uh, our, our CEO will very happily say there's years where we don't need to make a profit if it makes the company better, if that's what it needs to happen. But we do make a profit, which is nice, and we can do more things, and that's all very nice for, you know, and long, you know, may continue. But but, but the point is, I, our view is very different there. I don't – I think you got the idea of why we started a business. I, I you know, I don't have – I don't expect other people to take the same approach to it. Um, but But I think it's – you know, there are some, again, it's a very human industry. We need to think about what we're asking people and ask yourself, would you do that if you were asked to do it? And I think just work that way. And I know it's a very general statement to a very complex problem. And I'm sure there's lots of things that could be done. But I think we also have to appreciate it's a creative industry. You know, I, I think, um, uh, you know, the expectations just keep increasing as you're working on the game. Uh, and, you know, and something else comes out that makes you think, oh, okay, not that we have to go back to it. Um, and it, it's a challenge. It, it's definitely going to be a moving target. But but I think if there's a, an awareness of the problem by everybody, then you have a chance to solve it together. You know, and, and it's harder when you have investors and we're wholly owned by ourselves. So there's no one saying, as long as your profits are better this year than they were last year, you're fine. We don't have that pressure. If we did Maybe we'd act differently, but we didn't sign up to that, so we don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so it is. Sometimes you do. You are the outcome of your own circumstances, and our view was: let's never s- stack the deck in a way that would be bad to us later on. 
yeah. Yeah, I mean, we can talk deeper about this in absolutely. a separate conversation, yes, right? Absolutely. Yeah, but but yeah. I think uh, just, just to perhaps, you know, uh, end this current conversation, uh, you've been in industry for quite a while. I think you've seen a lot. Um, any advice to uh, students or passionate people who want to be part of the game industry? You know, what, what can, yeah, what can you perhaps advise them? Um, oh, uh, I mean, I, I, I love, I think, I, I love the question because it has never been a better time to make games. This is the quality of stuff coming out now, the teams that are coming out, the, the technologies that we have that, you know, I mean, if you think back in the day, you had to be a programmer to make a game, uh, you know, and, and okay, it's true to a degree now, but you can have big art teams. You can do really creative stuff with the tools that are there. So there's never been a better time to, to start, that's for sure. But I think, you know, for me, it's it, whether you choose, I suppose you have a route, don't you? You want to go into industry or do you want to start making your own games? Uh, hands up, I started the industry by making my wanting to make my own game. It was the best education I've ever had in my life. We never made the game. I made my career that way. I made a lot of contacts. People saw what I was willing to do to get something done. Um, uh, um, and it's excellent. So, so if you're gonna, if you if you if you go on the route of getting into the industry, there's lots of great companies to work for. Do your homework. Make sure it fits with you. Um, you know, if if you're, I always say to people, if you're talented enough to work for us, you're talented enough to work for a lot of people. So, so what are they offering you? Uh, that's a really big deal. Don't sell yourself short. Um, uh, equally, on on the other side of things, if you're gonna set up your own company, um, I think there's an appreciation that you know it's hard. Uh, you can def the barriers to entry of making a game are incredibly low. Um, low that it might be, it might be almost disillusioning to a degree. So I say when you go into it, if you are going to do your own thing, um, make sure that, again, like same thing at our company. We're 365 people, but we're honest with people. Be honest with yourself. Uh, you know, don't put yourself into any debt to start to make a game. If you, if you can self-finance it and bootstrap it, brilliant. Because there's a good chance um, that what you make might not be the thing that pays your bills and sets away for the future. But there's a there's an incredible chance that you're going to learn a ton from it. And, and it's the next thing you do, the subsequent thing you do that's going to be uh, uh, something that's great. So you got to be in it for the long run if you're doing it. All right. Um, what about Double Eleven? What's next for Double Eleven? Oh, wow. Good question. I think, um, you know, I think... Our view um, uh, that we're, I think we're, we're, we're privileged to be in a position to be able to do it is to think long term, 10 years out of, of, of who we want to be and, and how we want to get there. So again, no quick moves. Uh, it's just taking a really long view. And our, I think our goal is really just to do the thing that, we, that we've always set out to do, which is just, you know, make games, uh, enjoy the experience and, and make sure everyone has a, a good journey and has a good life from doing it. Mm. Can you give us any hints on your future projects, perhaps? Oh, wow, yeah. I, I would absolutely love to. Uh, and we have a lot of things in the studio right now that are not in the public domain. Uh, and it's a funny time because sometimes it comes out and then most things are known. And we're in one of these periods right now where, where, where a lot isn't known. Uh, and I'm really, I can't, obviously can't say anything about it. Um, but um, but when you see it come out, I just remember how happy I am right now. <laughs> All right. And then that note, thank you so much for speaking to me, Mark. Thank you very much, Hanif. It's a pleasure to be here. You're tuned in to GG Well Played and that was Mark South, Chief Operating Officer of Double Eleven. If you'd like to listen to this episode again, look for the podcast on bfm.my. Our app available on the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also find this show on Spotify. Do share your thoughts and the games that you play via our email, ggwp at bfm.my. Don't forget to also follow the station on Twitter at BFM Radio. My name is Sanif Baharuddin. Thanks for joining us. Game on and please take care. This has been GG Well Played. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.